here in the service, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And you may not realize this, but it was at the Passover that Jesus instituted the Supper. And when we think about the Old Testament, what the Passover means in celebrating God's deliverance of his people and sparing them from death, Jesus, as he gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover, he taught them to use this to remember him and to remember what he had done for them. It's fascinating to me, and we didn't plan it this way. We typically do the Lord's Supper on the fifth Sunday, but it just so happened to line up with where we are in Corinthians today that Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth about Jesus being our Passover. And because he is our Passover, we need to, to live the Christian life free from sin. It may not make any sense on the surface about the connection of all these things, but don't worry, we're going we're gonna to flesh it out for the next 30 minutes. The Bible teaches us here this, this connection between what Jesus did for us and how we're to live today. And when you think about what, what does it mean to be a Christian, what does a Christian life look like? Well, God is in the process of constantly shaping us to be like him. He's in the process of trying to, to lead us, direct us, and guide us to become less like the person that was once in rebellion against him and at war with him and more like his son, Jesus Christ, who lived absolute perfect life. And so Paul, as he's dealing with this issue of the body and how do we use the body in a way to glorify God, he talks about celebrating, celebrating the Passover, not with the old leaven, meaning sin, but with sincerity and truth. So we find as we read the scriptures that God takes the physical body far more serious than most of us do. As we looked at chapter 15, and we saw God talking about the resurrection of the body, and now talking about how we use our body. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 3. I want to ask you, would you just join me in standing? We're going to look at verses 3 through 8 today. Verses 3 through 8. Here's what it says. For although absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pray together. Father, help us today to understand the relationship between the Old Testament feasts and how we use our body today. 
I pray, Lord, that you would guide us to celebrate. To celebrate what Jesus did for us, not just through the Lord's Supper, but through how we conduct ourselves every day. For it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Bible teaches here that, that Christians may be free from the law, but we're not free from the authority of the Lord Jesus. In this first verse that we read, verse 3, Paul is exercising the authority that was delegated to him by the Lord. He is uh, directly calling out something specific in the church at Corinth and giving them a command about what they are to do. So in verse 3, notice what he says, Though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So Paul says, I'm not there. He says, but even though I'm not physically there, I have still pronounced judgment as though I was present. What he's talking about is that he has authority over the church as an apostle. They know that he has authority. Sometimes they don't like it and they want to reject it and rebel against it. But they know that he has authority. And this authority he has is from the Lord. This is why he's able to speak about this situation and give the church a command. That they are to not celebrate what this man has done, but they're to mourn and they're to remove him from their midst. He says this because he has authority. In John chapter 5, the Bible speaks about the authority of Jesus. Listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. He's speaking about the resurrection. Verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And listen to this. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Well, most people today in America don't like the very concept of authority. They don't use the word very often, but they absolutely hate the concept and the idea. We, we are people that just don't like to be directed, don't like to be confronted, and don't like to be told what to do. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus, as we make a decision to follow him, and we become Christians, we, we must not only accept him as Savior, but we must accept him as Lord. Means that we recognize his authority over every area of our life. In the book of Jude, verses 7 and 8, there, it's so short there are no chapters, so it's just verses 7 and 8. Uh, listen to what the Bible says about this idea of rejecting authority. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, and I want you to notice he's going to list the three major categories of sin here for these people. Defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Most of us, if we were asked 
to give a list of very serious sins few of us would put rejection of authority and most of us never make a connection between sexual sin and authority but the Bible does here in this passage it talks about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and people then in Jude's day this sin is the result of rejection of authority ultimately when we think about sexual sin especially different types of perversion it often is rebellion against God as we do not want to be directed we don't want to be confined and we don't want to be given boundaries we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it and so it's this rejection of authority the idea that nobody has the ability to judge me nobody has the ability to tell me what to do who are you to confront me about my lifestyle and so we think about this attitude in our culture that, that anything stated about sexual immorality is just some kind of hypocrisy and hypocritical judgment. People do not like to hear anything that confronts them about their lifestyle, especially today related to issues of sex and gender. But the book of Corinthians is not about the world. It's a message to the church, it's to those who are within. Think about when I was a, when I was a kid, Madonna song, Papa Don't Preach, was pretty, uh, pretty popular. And that, that attitude of Papa Don't Preach, you know, preach is a four-letter word in America today. People, people hate preaching. Preaching is defined as unwelcome, unsolicited, unwanted advice pushed upon us. That attitude is embraced by that song. And it's okay for the world to feel that way, but it's not okay for us if we submitted to the Lordship of Christ to feel that way about the preaching of His Word. And so the Bible teaches us here about this idea of rejecting authority. It says about those who followed in the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, they defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. You see, the reason that God can give us boundaries, commands, and clear direction about the use of our body is because he created it. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he made it possible that even though we've been eat up by sin, for us to be forgiven and for us to be redeemed. And this is why he has authority given to him by the Father to speak into our lives. And although today we don't have an apostle present among us and Jesus himself is not present among us but his spirit is and through the spirit inspired word he speaks to us about how we're to live and how we're to conduct ourselves when we gather as the Lord's people we carry out his mission by his authority and we do it for the sake of saving some notice what he says in verses 4 through 5 when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The church, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the actual word church means assembly. Now, God's people have always been about assembling. The word synagogue means assembly. And so as God's people, God has always meant for us to come together. It's one of the things that's been frustrating to figure out about during this pandemic as we're trying to stay apart. How are we going to safely 
come together in a way that's responsible to us because ultimately God's people, it's not about us being individually Christians, it's about us collectively being the church. It's about who we are as we gather together and assemble together as a local expression of the body of Christ. And when we come together, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. This means that, that what we do, we don't do on our behalf, and we don't do on behalf of First Baptist Madisonville, but what we do, we do on behalf of the Lord. So we're his hands and feet in the world. And part of his hands and feet, it means teaching, rebuking, and, and correcting. And so he says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, and he gives them this command. He says, you are to deliver this man, and he's talking about the man who was with his father's wife. He says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Well, uh, nobody knows what that means. Uh, they, they, they just don't. I've read every commentator uh, from, from, from uh, well, I've re not read every one of them. I've read all the, the best-known commentators on Corinthians and the most respected scholars, and nobody knows what that means. We just don't have any context. We don't have any other evidence to know. We know some things that it could mean, but nobody really knows exactly what Paul was talking about when he said, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But here's what we do know. He says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul's desire was not to condemn people. Paul's desire was to see people saved. And the command even that he gives the church about this man, the goal was so that his spirit may be saved. The reason that we teach what the Lord has taught us about how to use our bodies. The, the reason that we confront people through preaching, sometimes through private conversations, is not to condemn them, but so that they might be saved. Our heart is not to see others condemned, judged, or to suffer, but our heart needs to be to see people come to a saving knowledge of the truth, to those that have already come to a saving knowledge to see them experience the joy of their salvation to see them be productive in the world as believers in Matthew 28 it's the great commission and the great commission comes out of the authority that Jesus has and it says and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore when I was a kid growing up, hearing this passage preached, taught in Sunday school, everyone emphasized going. It seemed to always be about missions, but the reality is this passage is ultimately about making disciples, and going is just one way that we make disciples. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then here's the commission that we have, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you because Jesus has authority he can speak into our lives and he can give us commands and he can give us boundaries and he can define what's right and what's wrong and as his disciples the commission that we have been given 
is to listen to this teaching and to pass it on to others. And so when Paul confronts the church at Corinth about the sexual sin that was in the church and the attitude of the church that was simply lax about it, and instead of mourning about it, they were arrogant about it, he does it because he is on a mission under the authority of the Lord Jesus. And so are you and I. He's not called us to be apostles, but he has called us to be disciples. And he's called us to be obedient, and he's called us to teach others as well. And that's why when we're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, just like the church at Corinth was, we can't be lax about sexual sin. We can't wink at it. We can't be arrogant about it. We must be crystal clear about it. We need to call ourselves to repentance daily. As actions, attitudes, thoughts violate the Lord's teachings. We need to allow him to have his way in us as he's conforming us to be like his son. And when others who bear the name of Christ choose to reject this, we can't afford to be smug about it. We can't afford to make jokes about it. We can't afford to let it go. The Great Commission is to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. When we think about sin, sin is far more serious than many people realize. Sin spreads through us like a cancer. It's too destructive to be dismissed or minimized. So Paul says in verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. He's talking about the, the arrogance in, in, in the church. Man is openly, has his father's wife, and instead of confronting him about it or praying for him, they are arrogant about it and they are, they are boasting about it. And Paul says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So Paul uses a metaphor from baking bread to help us understand the pervasive power of sin to corrupt and to corrupt absolutely. The way that, the way that yeast works, which is one form of leaven, the way that, that yeast works is it's, it's a living bacteria. You put it in dough, it begins to consume the sugars. And then as it consumes those sugar, it begins to give off gas. And that gas, as it begins to, to, to move, it, the fibers in the dough capture it, and it causes it to rise. And it takes just, just a little bit of yeast to make an entire batch of dough rise and make bread. And this is why Paul uses this as an example here. It takes just, just a little bit of sin that it spreads and it expands and it affects everything. Think about how sexual sin affects us. We see many people having sex before marriage and outside of marriage. And this, this behavior leads to, to an intimate connection, an intimate connection that, that makes uh, breakup painful, painful. We see people that high school, college, even later in life, simply dating, exploring if somebody might be a future spouse. It should be a fairly 
simple process. But when sex becomes involved, we become intimately connected with people and breakups become very painful. And so we see young people that breakups look more like divorce and it's because of a connection that was designed to be inside of marriage is now being made with all types of people and it creates a great deal of pain in young people's lives. We see disease is another way that sexual sin affects us. Many, many people don't realize, many young people don't realize until it's too late that, that viral sexually transmitted diseases, they cannot be cured. There simply is no cure for these, these diseases. Some are painful. Some are even deadly. Sexual sin affects us often through unplanned pregnancy. It's a situation that can often be redeemed. Many young people decide to get married. They make a great family. There's a lot of ways that situation can be redeemed. It's not the end of the world, but it does create stress and difficulty as people who had no plan to raise a child are now all of a sudden faced with a total change in their lifestyle. Sexual sin affects not only ourselves, so it affects, it affects others as well. Sexual sin will it'll destroy your testimony. Because even the world knows the promiscuity is inconsistent with following Jesus. It will destroy the witness of your church. Lost people see the church as full of hypocrites who preach against sexual immorality and yet live in it. There's nothing the world loves to celebrate more than the sin of someone who claims to be a believer. It will also lead others astray. You may not want other people to be influenced by you, but it's difficult to be neutral in this world. People often use us as an excuse for copying our behavior. They're often influenced by who we are. When we think about how sin affects us and how it affects others, the greatest problem with sexual sin is that ultimately all sin is against God. David, King David in the Old Testament, he had a major failure in his life. He was up on the palace one day. He saw a woman bathing on a rooftop, and he sent for her. He seduced her. He slept with her, and she became pregnant. To cover it up, David murdered her husband. But yet God knew what he did. So God sent the prophet Nathan to confront him. And later, as David came to a point of repentance in his life, Here's what David wrote about that sin. Psalm 51, verse 4. Speaking to God, he wrote, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. As we read that, we may immediately think, well, well David sinned against Bathsheba, and David sinned against Uriah, and that's true. His sin affected many people, but ultimately all sin is against God. We're often most worried about what others will think about us 
or what others might say about our lifestyle. But our primary concern needs to be what God is going to say about it because all sin separates us from God. And all sin brings us to the point of needing forgiveness and needing to seek repentance and restoration. Paul teaches us in verse 7 that as a people who have been cleansed, we need to live clean lives. Notice what he says in verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Now, leaven in the Bible is a metaphor for sin. And so when Paul says cleanse out the old leaven, he's talking about removing sin from our lives. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Well, to understand what he's talking about, we need to know a little bit about the Old Testament Passover. God's people were in Egypt. They were in slavery. And God was going to raise up Moses to lead them out of slavery. And Moses was sent to speak to Pharaoh. But as Moses spoke to Pharaoh, Pharaoh was uncooperative and not willing to let God's people go. And so God says, I'm going to bring a series of plagues. And at the final plague, which is going to be the death of the firstborn, at the final plague, Pharaoh is going to let people go. But what happens as God brings this series of plagues is that he begins to make a distinction between his people and everyone else. And so when we come to the Passover, God makes a very clear distinction as he says to his people, they are to take a lamb and they are to take the blood of that lamb and they are to smear it over their doorposts. And he says, when the angel of death comes, he will pass over every house that has the blood over its doorpost. This is why we call this the Passover, because death passed over the people of God. The Lord told them they were to take this lamb, they were to, to eat it together, and their, their bread was to be without any leaven, that is, without any yeast. So when they celebrated the Passover, this became an annual festival. There was, there was even a, a part of the celebration, there was a period of time when everyone would search through the house to make sure there was no leaven in the house. And so Paul tells us here to cleanse out the old leaven. He's not talking about don't put yeast in your bread He's talking about remove the sin from your life. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And when you pick up that cup that has bread on top, that bread is flat and hard and dry because there is no yeast in it, because it represents the body of Christ and Jesus was completely free from sin because of what he did for us he made it possible for us to be cleansed from sin 
And so this is why Paul says, you really are unleavened. We may not be innocent of sin, and we may not have been free from sin in the past, but Christ has cleansed us. In the next chapter in this book, here's what Paul will write to the church. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But at verse 11, this is the encouraging part. Listen to what he says. And such were, past tense, and such were some of you. There were people in the church at Corinth who had been sexually immoral, who had been idolaters, who had been adulterers, who had been in homosexuality, who had been thieves, who had been greedy, who had been drunkards, who had been revilers, and who had been swindlers. They were those things at one time. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is why. He says, you really are unleavened. That means you really are without the penalty of sin on your life because Christ made it possible for death to pass over us. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So having experienced this, we no longer live as the people that we once were, but instead we embrace our new identity in Christ as people who have been cleansed and people who have been forgiven. So that's why he says, therefore, let us celebrate the festival. He's talking about celebrating Passover. For those of us that are saved, there may be sporadic times throughout the year that we gather together and we take bread and we take juice and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But every day, we need to celebrate what Jesus did for us by how we live. So let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, Meaning, let us not use our freedom in Christ, our grace, our forgiveness, and our cleansing as an excuse to live in sin. He says, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Our lives are to be a celebration of what Christ has done for us. Just as the Old Testament feasts and festivals were meant to remind the people of what God had done. May our new commitment to sexual purity remind us every day that we serve a Lord who is without sin, without spot, completely free from sin. 
The Bible says, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Living for the Lord in sincerity requires submitting even our bodies to his authority. The truth that we live in is not the shifting views of our current culture, but the unchanging truth of Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, here's what Jesus said about truth. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. If we want to know what truth is, we look to Jesus. And so when the world has all these conflicting messages about what's right and what's wrong, for those of us that are followers of Christ, we look to Jesus. And I'll leave you today with these words that he said about this relationship. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks today that you've given us the design of marriage and humanity. Help us to use the bodies that you created in a way that brings glory and honor to your kingdom. Father, I pray that you'd help us each one to look inside, to examine ourselves and not others, that we might live a life that would draw people to want to follow you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Today as we close out our service, we're going to have a time in which we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But the Bible tells us in another passage in Corinthians that it is very important when we celebrate the Supper that we do it in a manner that's worthy. And the Bible says that we're to examine ourselves. So here's what I want you to understand. Today is I read that list in Corinthians of those different sins. Maybe that describes something that you used to be. Or maybe there's something ungodly that wasn't on that list that describes who you are. I want you to understand this. Being a Christian does not mean that there was never a time in your life that you did anything wrong. That's absolutely the exact opposite of what it means. As believers, we know and we have confessed that we have sinned against God. And yet we have received his forgiveness. And this is why we're, we're now cleansed and washed. And as believers, we, we're in a journey of trying to become more 
and more like our Father. Which means that we constantly learn things about ourselves and, and, and see things, and God confronts us about things through Scripture. And when we become aware of sin in our lives, we confess that to Him. And when we confess that to Him, He is, the Bible says, faithful and just to, to cleanse us and to forgive us of our sins. And so I want to invite you, before we take the Lord's Supper, would you take a moment and just reflect on your life?